Sex trafficking is a $99 billion industry, and human trafficking in its total is a $150 billion industry. The statistics around human trafficking can feel incredibly overwhelming, and at times it can feel like there is just no way that we could ever make a real change in this industry. But one denim company is striving to make a dent and is doing a pretty dang good job. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is the incredible James Bartle, founder and CEO of Outland Denim. Outland Denim began as a means to provide stable employment and economic opportunity to women who would otherwise be vulnerable to human trafficking. But James, he didn't stop there. He innovated on industry standards to create a incredible line of jeans with a minimal footprint. This is an absolutely phenomenal conversation. James has actually been an incredibly highly requested guest this year. And so I was just really honored to have him on the show. We touch on some really important topics. And honestly, I could have talked to him for hours and hours and you will see exactly what I mean. But before I get to my conversation with James, I want to just thank a couple of our partners of the show. And the first is Simple Switch. Simple Switch is actually not new to the show because I had the founder, Rachel Coyce, on the show back in the spring. And I actually want you to hear from her a little bit about what makes Simple Switch so incredibly unique. Thanks, Molly, for letting me hop on this episode. Yeah, we are an online marketplace for ethical and impactful shopping. So an Amazon alternative, if you're looking for things to be shipped to your door, but in an ethical way that makes a positive social or environmental impact. I seriously believe that we can shift a bunch of the $600 billion spent online towards companies that are values aligned and that are making a difference in the world. So that's what we're doing. And Simple Switch is offering a discount exclusively for our listeners. So you can check out the entire marketplace on simpleswitch.org and get 20% off your first order with the code purchase with purpose at checkout. That's again, that's simpleswitch.org and get 20% off your first order with code purchase with purpose at checkout. I also have another question for you. I mean, who doesn't love snail mail? Now I'm not talking about junk mail or Amazon Prime packages. I'm talking about making this Christmas season special and sending a physical gift through Amaz Uma. At checkout, you can add a personalized message and the Amaz Uma team will handwrite into any card you choose. So don't let 2020 end on a bad note. Let's send cheer to those we love. You can head on over to shopwithmolly.com for a special discount from the incredible shop at Amaz Uma. All right, now onto my conversation with James. All the way on the other side of the world, I will never get over how awesome technology is. Um, I'm so excited to welcome to the show James Bartle, the founder and CEO of Outland Denim. James, how are you doing today? I am really well, and it is amazing to be able to be on your show and chat to you. I know. You know, I have been doing this show for over four years now, and I have interviewed people 
on almost every continent except for Antarctica. And I will just never tire of (laughs) connecting with people all the way on the other side of the world through technology and being able to share their stories and all that kind of thing. And um, also the fact that you gave me a little glimpse into the future because it's it's tomorrow there as it we is. are speaking. It's um, I, it you know, I just put my kids to bed. It's the next day for you. You're already telling me that that the next day is great. So I have a lot to look forward yeah. to. And in t- 2020, we need all the, <laughs> the positivity time, we can get. Time travel is possible, hey? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, okay, so James, yeah. I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the James 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, James Bartle is my name, and I am. I'm the CEO and founder of Outland Denim. And we're a company which is about four years old now. Um, we've been in the marketplace for that that amount of time, but we spent about six and a half years before this developing our business model. And it's the desire for me to to start um, going down a a, uh, a road like this one, where we're using business to impact people around the world and try and change things that we see that that aren't right in the world, environmentally and uh, socially. I needed to be impacted myself first and. The very first uh, thing that really got me interested in this kind of, I guess, subject of human trafficking um, was the Liam Neeson film Taken. And I'll never forget going to the movies with my wife and some friends that night on a date night and, um, you know, leaving just feeling so outraged that um, that these things still happened around the world. Liam Neeson, uh, of course, the, the hero of the film. His daughter and friend were abducted in the fictional film, of course, um, whilst traveling through Europe. But there's some some text there that said that these things really do happen around the world. And again, I was just ignorant and outraged the fact that this was a reality. And so over the next few years, my wife spent uh, a lot of time researching and sort of educating me on the reality of this problem. And it wasn't until I had the opportunity to travel with a rescue agency through Southeast Asia that I really saw a scene that completely changed my life. And that was a young girl that was for sale. And she was very obviously um, scared and intimidated by the position she'd found herself in. And my heart just broke for her. I pictured the nieces that I had at the time. And I now have little girls of my own. And, you know, I can't imagine any human having to be sold, um, you know, for their own survival or, you know, to maybe make enough money to send home to the family or maybe they've just been stolen and taken and you know they don't have a choice they're held captive there and I just couldn't get that in my head that that's a reality and um, as we looked further into the issue we just realized that this was really a deep problem it was an economic problem and if we wanted to solve this problem we wanted to combat it we needed to come up with something that addressed that the economic position that these people who have been born into and therefore making them vulnerable to these kinds of exploitation. And we believed that we were going to be able to do that using business. And uh, that brings us, brings us to today where um, it's, been a, it's been a pretty crazy journey, but we, um, we're seeing results that we never dreamed of seeing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how, and I'm sure that now you've been in, you know, working in this industry now for, you know, a few years, you started the business four years ago, but you were obviously doing all the groundwork, the prep work for six years, like you said before that, you know, it's it's interesting, because I've, I've also been, um, it, one of the reasons I was really looking forward to speaking with you is because I do a lot of work in the anti-human trafficking world. This has been a big passion of mine. I've worked with a lot of anti-human trafficking organizations that work both domestically here in the U.S. and abroad. And 
It's funny because when I talk to people about this issue and I try to educate them on the realities of human trafficking, so many of them say, oh, is it like that movie Taken? And <laughs> it's yeah. it's funny yeah. how the, the movie Taken kind of, it, for a lot of people, became this like, oh, well, but that's what it looks like. And yeah. while, yes, there are aspects of this Hollywoodized movie that are real, mm. um, more often than not, what it looks like is a lot like what you were you were talking about, where mm-hmm. it's young girls and boys who have been, you know, lured through force, fraud or coercion into a situation that they don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were lured by by a family member, by somebody they trusted. Maybe a family member sold them into this situation. There's so many, I mean, it, you know, human trafficking is so nuanced and so complex that it can't possibly be, you know, really summarized in one movie, you know, of all of the, the complexities about it. And so my question for you is, is, you know, after you saw that movie, and that was really a catalyst to want to learn more, as you started learning more, and you went on this trip to Southeast Asia, at what point did you realize like, oh, this is a systemic thing that is really going to need strategy to be tackled in an effective way? I think it was um, a very gradual learning. Um, you know, after watching the movie, I wanted to respond by starting some sort of vigilante and going eradicating the bad people from the planet. Um, you know, and <laughs> that sounds that, like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think, oh, well, this is the most obvious and most effective way is to, to attack it this way. And then you learn more and you, you realize that it's an economic problem and often the perpetrators were the exploited and um you know you realize that this thing has so many tentacles it's so complicated it's not black and white and if we really want to create change we've got to change people's hearts um you know in in countries like ours as well as countries that we work in and we've got to be able to create opportunity that gives everybody you know people in in developing and um poor nations, the same opportunities that we had to be educated, to, you know, to be able to have healthcare and to Mm -hmm. save and live with their families, you know, just the basic stuff, you know, and we believe that if you could, if you could create that, then there would be a change. We didn't dream the change would be as big. And um, I guess it was through that gradual education that we were receiving over those initial six and a half years of employing these ladies and trying to skill them and give you know, educational elements of their employment to them through their employment. So that could have been languages or finance or or other things as well. What would happen? And we realized that it was wasn't until we could address those things that were were systemic, those things that were all the way back into um, linking back into the root of the problem. Again, vulnerability um, and vulnerability because of the economic status of their community or country um, or family. And so I guess our decisions have come very much from a place of we need to address the root. Now, yeah. we can address the root on one side of it, and we, um, we have a strong belief that, you know, charity and aid have a very um, important place in our world, but I think we use them in ways they're not designed to be used. And in fact, if we could use business now, everyday actions as human beings to address these issues, and that that would just be a byproduct of living, buying, consuming, then what what could really happen? And so that's really our mindset and where we're what we're working toward. And we've been able to see that 
it is incredibly powerful when you put the power back in the hands of the people to make the change themselves. You give them what they need to be successful at it and everything changes. Um, but mm-hmm. whilst we hold the keys to it and we have some form of control over it, it really doesn't have the same level of power. And uh, we've, we've been just so, so incredibly, you know, blown away by what these incredible people who have suffered so much willing and able to do when given the right opportunity. I love that you said that change so often, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but just how change really can be can really come from us as people and as the consumers. And yes, like there is a time and a place for charity. But the reality is, is that true systemic change really starts at a very fundamental, like foundational level at home with families, um, you know, in your communities and by your your buying power. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting that you chose because sometimes, you know, there's a disconnect when people start to tackle a, a, a large global issue like human trafficking and they want to approach it from a business standpoint. And sometimes it might look like, and I'm not knocking on Tom's, but it might look like a Tom's model where it's like a one for one or there's like a portion of our profits go to this organization or something like this. You started pretty early on by by kind of melding with another industry kind of in the in the ethical fashion industry, which, mm. you know, I have conversations with people all the time about how, you know, at the root of the fashion industry is trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's yeah. so much trafficking that is rampant throughout the, the yeah. fashion industry. And so you chose to kind of merge these two things where you're you're fighting one issue um, in in fighting human trafficking while also building a sustainable fashion brand. So mm. at what point did the two of those kind of have a marriage and you realized, oh, I think that this is something that not only can we tackle this issue of, of human trafficking, but also you're tackling denim, which is one of the most polluting uh, fashion items in the world, but you're doing it in yeah. a sustainable and eco-friendly way. I mean, all those kinds of things we could go down the list. At what point did those two things kind of come together? Well, I think the very first thing was that I was moved in a pretty profound way when I saw this young girl for sale. And I just knew I wanted to be able to help in some way and you know the at the time one of the probably most desirable roads is still to be a rescuer to go in and rescue these people and you know going guns blazing i mean that just seems like the way you do it and i think it was it was on the same trip that i was i was told um by somebody that 80 percent of the uh, people that come through these rescue programs end up in a worse position later down the road because there's nothing to go on through and so that really struck me. And so it was on that trip that um, we started. Uh, I hadn't even got back to Australia. And I was like, okay, we're going to start. And the reason we chose denim wasn't because I was educated on how bad denim was. I had no clue at the time. Um, I just loved jeans. And if I was going to start anything, that's what it was going to be. And so we started <laughs> with denim and started to learn about just how destructive this particular product was on the environment. And then you know, in the, and also in the early stages, I didn't, I didn't care about the environmental impact of anything because, you know, if you had to told me, you tried to preach to me about it, I would have thought you were just a tree-hugging hippie and not done anything <laughs> about it. You know? That's the reality. Um, until I was able to link that environmental degradation to social injustice. And um, I think it was that awakening that um, really 
shook me and I felt from, you know, my worldview as a, even my worldview as a Christian, it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm doing my part to try and protect, you know, this incredible planet that we live on. And mm-hmm. therefore that in turn is going to help and look after these, these um, vulnerable people groups, marginalized people groups. And, you know, so it was very early on. It wasn't because of amazing strategy. And um, it just so happened that, you know, we just kept learning more and more and going, well, we need to address this and we need to address this. And so we ended up with a really cool business model where, you know, we don't believe that you can say you care for people without the planet or the planet without the people. I think they're very much connected. And um, yes. I'm, I'm really passionate in going, okay, well, if we can use industry to challenge these two big issues that we face today, environmental degradation as a result of industry. We talk about the fashion industry, one in six people work within it. So it's an incredible opportunity to do a couple of things. One, address that environmental degradation through innovation and coming up with better ways of production and then longer lasting and more usable products, as well as um, uh, impacting so many people's lives. And I don't just mean the people's lives in those developing countries. I mean the people, the the sales associate that stands on the, the floor in Nordstrom's, you know, how do we help them? How do we create something that's beneficial for them? How is it beneficial for the media? and every stakeholder along the way, including shareholders. Because if we can achieve that, and I know that's lofty and it's a big dream, but if we can achieve that, which I believe we are, we're going to have a way greater impact over the decades that follow than we are if we just focus on one aspect of our entire, um, the entire supply chain or, um, you know, economy of our brand. And denim is the ultimate product, in my opinion, to change the world with. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you've already mentioned the fact that it's the worst contributor environmentally to the the unsustainable nature um, of producing fashion. Um, The chemicals it uses, the water it uses, the amount of cotton, the energy that goes into that is massive. And so that is a big contributor to placing fashion between the second and fifth worst polluting industry in the world. But... Denim has this this ability that no other fashion item has, in my opinion. In fact, I don't even know if there's another item that has it just like fashion other than music. You hear your favourite song and it takes you back to a place. You know, it, it reminds you of something and an emotion can be attached to that song and I believe the same of denim. You have your favourite pair of jeans that you just never want to throw out. They, they absorb history and they have that same ability to be able to transport you somewhere remind you of something, of an emotion, a feeling, a time. And I think that that there makes it the most incredibly powerful product to change the world with. We're now able to print on the inside of the pocket linings of our jeans, you know, a little thank you message from one of the ladies that produced it. And it's just a small insight for someone who buys these jeans to realize the impact that they've been able to have as a result of choosing this particular product. And so then what we end up with is people looking for a beautiful premium pair of jeans and they find this product, they love this product and then one day they're washing it and they turn it inside out and they notice this little thank you note that's been written and printed inside the product from someone who made it. And that's the cherry on top going, I'm going to buy the things that I still love and want to buy, but I can feel good about it because the byproduct of a gene is that I've changed someone's life and I've been able to leave a positive impact on the environment versus a horrible one. So. That's our goal, and we'd love to see that roll out across other industries as well, um, and right across the fashion industry for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 
can't, I mean, there's quite a few things that you said there that I just, I really want to echo. And, you know, like you said here at the end is it's so important for ethical brands to have that same mindset that you have, um, because I see some brands do it really, really well, and some do it not so well. And that is where it's a product first, and then the ethical nature, the um, the fair trade aspect, the certified B Corporation aspect, all that kind of stuff is a is a wonderful byproduct. But at the end of the day, if ethical brands aren't thinking like businesses, mm. where you're making a great product that customers mm. want, then at the end of the day, you're creating a pity purchase, yeah, which does not Im- it does not empower, it does not encourage, and it does not do anything positive for the artisan on the other end, that's or right. the the seamstress, yeah. or the um the 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 craft person on the other end of that product. And by creating a product that has consumer demand, at the end of the day, you're going to generate more sales, which means that you're going to be able to employ more people. Um, My husband actually very eloquently put this, um, for the listeners, if you listen all the way back at episode 200, my, my husband said how a lot of times we, as a society, we demonize people who make a profit. Like we demonize businesses making a profit. And he's like, no, it's what you do with that profit. And he's like, if you make a profit, then you can employ more people and you can change more families and you can give more money. And we have to start changing that narrative. And I think that we've seen that in in the last few years. But we still have a long way to go. Yes. I mean, do you kind of, I don't know how the culture is, if it's similar in Australia as it is here in the US um, in that sense. Do you find that, that there's still that sort of like business is the enemy sort of attitude in some ways? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, especially like I mentioned, I come from a, you know, a, a very Christianized culture as well. I was raised in a Christian home and so, you know, that that's notorious for probably, you know, that kind of mindset that, you know, um, there's more of a martyr mentality. And so I certainly went into this project with a martyr mentality. I went mm. in as an, I started this as a not-for-profit and I thought that that was the most purest way that I was able, mm. going to be able to address this issue. And uh, in the process, realized it wasn't sustainable, changed to a for-profit model. And it wasn't until I changed to a for-profit model and anything really that I could see that we had any ability to really change anything. And it was, and it was actually through a guy that had given me a donation early in the piece. And uh, he, when I was running the for-profit, he gave me this donation and said, I want to help with what you're doing. He's a brilliant, um, generous man. So was his wife. And they, um, I went, so I went to him when I wanted to change to becoming a for-profit because I wanted him to go, well, I'm okay with that. Seems like get, giving you this donation. And he said, look, you should have done it this way from the beginning. He said, there's nothing more pure than giving your own money than somebody else's. And it was a big eye-opener to me. It was like, mm. oh my gosh, how true is that? If this is a for-profit, I make money. It's actually now my money uh, legally that I choose to give away. And I think that that's just was, was some of the best advice. I'm a massive advocate for business um, and business being the solution. I believe it is the greatest, most powerful tool we have today to be able to change people's lives is using business. I don't believe it's going to happen through government. I believe it's going to happen through businesses choosing to do things the right way. Right in the beginning, you know, I mentioned that I, I believe it's a heart change that needs to happen. So leadership mm-hmm. teams within our businesses and companies, the brands that we buy from, things we consume every day, if the leadership of those organizations and companies 
have a heart change to where they go, no, it's my responsibility to make sure that we're able to benefit everybody within our supply chain. Hey, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and no one's perfect. But if you change and you use the power you have as a business, then it's, there is no end to what could happen. And I believe that we could transform nations just by yes. changing the way we produce our products. I have seen, um, like you, so many positive steps in the last few years. I mean, we started 10 years ago on this journey. And for the first, I would say, uh, six years, whenever I talk about what this was that we were doing and trying to achieve, you know, all I got was um, glassy-eyed yawns, you know. Today, it's very different. I, people, yes. I mean, see opportunity. They see hope and opportunity and purpose and as a result of, of that, it's become really attractive to look for other brands that do things the right way and it inspires consumers to use the purchasing power to be a part of the change and the solution rather than the problem. And I think uh, one of my heroes who lived in the uh, early to mid-1800s was a guy named William Wilberforce. He mm-hmm. was a British politician and uh, he and his team um, fought for the to abolish the um, transatlantic slave trade, um, which was rife at the time. And my wife often reminds me of, of something that he said, which was, if you want to change anything first, you've got to change people's affections. And that's mm. a big learning lesson for me. And I've got to keep reminding myself of that, that we can't push people into this change. But our job is to inspire them into this change, to want to be a part of the journey, to want to be a part of this movement. And I'm seeing it happening um, because yeah. of the work of so many people um, in particular, you know, the likes of uh, shows like this that are going to raise these things and educate people in a way that they can now absorb it in their own time and their own way to now think about how they're going to be a part of this and where do they fit. Absolutely. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times just your your Christian faith, which is obviously, as my listeners know, that's a huge part of my life as well. and. You know, it's one of those things that I'm I'm actually very vocal about the fact that I mean, I am 100% I believe that anyone and everyone should get involved in the ethical fashion movement. Consumers have power. But I talk a lot about how I fully believe in my heart of hearts that Christians need to lead the way in this and how Christians more Christians need to stand up and advocate for things like ethical fashion and ethical businesses and and doing things the right way because that is just, I mean, that is what the, I mean, if the Bible is calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, like, you know, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to make sacrifices and we're supposed to do hard things in order to bring other people alongside of us. And I'm um, kind of like what you were saying is like, you don't want to push things on people. You want to invite them into it. And I'm like, that's exactly what Jesus yeah. does to us is like, he doesn't push himself yeah. on anybody. All he does is he loves on them and he invites them in to be a part of, um, to be a part of a bigger story. And, you know, maybe I'm over spiritualizing it. I don't know, but I've been doing this a long time. And the more I get into it, the more I believe that to be true. Um, so I love that that's something that is a big, big part of what you're doing. And so I know, obviously, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the fact that you created this product and all of that. But I'm just curious because I, I, I'm really interested in sort of the early early parts of a, a a brand like yours, you know, you're on this plane on your way back to Australia and you decide you're going to start a denim company. Like when you get off the plane, like 
it's not like you knew how to start a denim company. So what did you do first? How did you even kind of venture into this brand new world? Well, um, I'm pretty optimistic at life. So uh, whenever I look at something like that, I go, well, it couldn't be that hard, surely. You know, and that's <laughs> usually the thought process that I, that I go through. And I know that that's, um, that's crazy and um, that's risky. But I saw that if we could produce a beautiful product, and at the time, keep in mind, I didn't know it was the most competitive space in fashion either. So I didn't know how hard it would be to crack this particular market. I, I just started with uh, the non-government organization that we wanted to work with to begin um, this, this process and um, their vocational training program and having a sewing teacher and saying, hey, well, let's try and make some jeans. And I'll never forget getting the first pair of jeans back and just how terrible they were. They, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was so much anticipation. And it was really then that it dawned on just how far we've got to go. And again, optimistic by nature, you think, oh, we'll get it next time and we'll get it next time and we'll get it next time and so forth. And, you know, six and a half years in before you're ready to launch your brand. But what it did do, it was a really important time. It was setting foundations. We remain committed to making sure that we don't cut corners. And that's really hard to do sometimes, especially when you're cash strapped and you really want to get things moving. So uh, it just started with that on the ground. And then I was able to get the first employee and, you know, and then um, she still works with us today and, you know, working across the impact of business and, and starting to track and try and perfect that, that model of creating real change. I mean, we've made so many mistakes. You can pay them too much as well when you create, create mini inflation in a small community group or, you know, just silly, silly little mistakes that you make. But I think that's actually the key is being okay with the fact that you're going to make mistakes all the way along, still mm. make because actually they're, they're the greatest learnings that we can have. And yes, it's fantastic to have a mentor to come along and be able to educate you on aspects. But the space that we're in, really no one, there wasn't really anyone I could go to and say, how do you do this? You know, things are made to minimum order quantities in factories with, you know, automation and skilled seamstresses. So how do I bring somebody in that has no skills and teach them to make one of the most difficult products? How do I run a business in a completely different culture to ours that um, you try and uh, adopt some of the business model that we would use here in Australia in Cambodia and you just find that it's disruptive. So it's, there's so many of those challenges, but I just think it's just crossing each one as you come to it. You know, there's, there's always a way I, I, I never stop believing there's always a way through this. And Um, I've never got to a point where I felt like it's a dead end for the business. Um, I've often questioned, you know, where is the, when's the time that, that I can't offer what the business needs and needing to stay open to that and not hinder it having the greatest impact it could have by me believing I need to be the guy that, you know, um, stays there and gets in the way. So I I think it's just really trying to remain true to the original vision, which was to create opportunity for vulnerable men and women through um, employment, but that employment gave them much more than just a job or just a living wage. It gave them training to make them highly skilled that taught them around, you know, uh, the company values, honesty, integrity, generosity. You know, I love the movie Pay It Forward, such an inspiration. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but such a brilliant concept um, of hey, we're able to give this to you and it's not for you to give it back. We do expect you to work hard and we do expect you to do a good job, but we want you to go out into your community and pay this forward, look for the opportunity for the next person. 
and we get reports of these incredible ladies um, giving opportunity. I mean, one one particular story of it, one of the ladies going and buying fabric and helping set this poor girl up on the street as a seamstress, you know, out of her own hard-earned money, you know. So those stories excite me. Those stories give me hope into that things can be different in the future. And I hope that that's a legacy of Outland Denim, the brand, is that it, it had a small part to play in motivating our staff that you're not a victim, you're not a victim but you're somebody that has so much to offer in your community and in the world. And um, if we all look for that opportunity and we use it, then we're going to create massive impact. And you talked about the Bible before being, that's the calling. And um, I believe that it's it's as clear as day. You know, you don't have to go out and be a street evangelist, but you do have to love on those that are in need. That is the Mm -hmm. calling. That is the gospel. And I mean, it's a motivation for me. I want to use the industry to create massive change uh, in the world. And I think it's happening. I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with James to thank our partners of the show. And the first question I have is, are you one of my loyal listeners of this podcast? And have you ever wanted to sport some business with purpose swag? Well, guess what? You can now get my exclusive do something good with purpose on purpose tea through GoX Apparel. The design is incredible. It's beautiful. But here's the thing that makes it even more amazing. GoX really does believe in the power of purchase. They use a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them in their families and communities. They're proud to be a verified member of the Fairtrade Federation, and you can shop their incredible eco-friendly line and get your exclusive Business with Purpose podcast, sustainable tea and more at goexapparel.com forward slash Molly Stillman. That's goexapparel, G-O-E-X apparel.com forward slash Molly Stillman. This episode is also in partnership with the Lemonade Boutique, a women's clothing with a cause store. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I love artisan groups and for-purpose companies like Elegant Tees, Starfish Project, and Rahab's Rope. What I love about today's sponsor is that the Lemonade Boutique combines some of my favorite for-purpose companies plus so much more in an easy to shop online store. Plus, if you spend $29, you get free shipping. Whoop, whoop. That is a great way to shop. You can shop at thelemonadeboutique.com where your purchase empowers women to take life's lemons and make lemonade. Listeners of the Business with Purpose podcast can save 15% by using the code PURPOSE15 at checkout. Now back to my conversation with James. Now you launched obviously in Australia and it, you know, the reception was great. At what point did you say, okay, we want to expand to other markets and really make this a global brand and come to North America? And I know that was kind of the next step for you. What did that, what did that process look like and how has the re, um, the reception been once you kind of went overseas (laughs) and introduced it to North America? Well, um, that was a funny process. I mean, I'm always, um, I'm ready. I'm, let's go. I want to be a global brand. <laughs> yeah. I want to, you know, so I was pretty keen. But um, there was a WWD summit happening in New York and uh, my wife had read about it and she goes, you need to be there. It was a CEO summit. And I said, oh gosh, I'm barely a CEO. Um, that's just my title. And, you know, it's going to cost so much money to go over there and back. Just really believed along with a couple of others that I should just, I just have to go. 
So I went and I sat, in that, sat at this table next to this Canadian guy and um, he's a really nice, charismatic guy, you know, very interested in what I was doing while I was there. And I felt like a duck out of water with Ralph Lauren speaking about fashion. And, you know, I was really disheartened. <laughs> we got through that entire summit. I didn't hear one person talk about inability in any of its forms. All I heard about was going to another country that was cheaper, producing cheaper, what mm. the market's doing. And so it was really disheartening to see where our fashion industry was. That was probably five years ago. But I sat next to this guy and um, he, I told him what I did and he, uh, he grabbed, grabbed a handful of my jeans that I was wearing at the time and he goes, oh yeah, they, they look pretty good, they feel good. And um, he goes, well, tell all your investors, they're about to lose all their money. Anyway, that was about it. Turns out then later on that day, his wife was um, quite horrified at his comments and they said, oh, do you want to have lunch with us? And I did and sort of stayed in contact over the next six months because he turned out to be uh, a distributor. Their company was 130 years old out of Toronto in Canada. And he eventually said, hey, all right, grab your jeans, fly over, show me what you got. And he'd never seen the jeans other than the pair I'd worn before. And so I turned up there. I was quite nervous. and. Um, he we threw the jeans out on his boardroom and looked down and he goes, Oh yeah, they look pretty good. So he took a really big risk and he put me in front of the three best retailers in Canada. And we walked into the first meeting and it was a bit of a devil wears Prada um moment. <laughs> and I'll never forget they they walk past and they say, Hi, you've got 20 minutes, put your stuff on the table. And we're well, I was I was shaking at the knees. And anyway, they came in, sat down, looked at the product, told them what it is that we're aiming to do, what we're trying to do through this product. An hour and a half later. And, you know, the two lady buyers are in tears and giving advice and wanting to help. We went to the next retailer um, same day and we sat in front of uh, in front of them. And they're also an incredible retailer, very large network. And one of the family members of the, the family that owns it came to the meeting and um, who's quite passionate about sustainability. In an hour of our meeting, you know, she had sent an email to the distributor saying, we're going to support you, we're going to carry your product. And they've been very supportive ever since. And um, that's Harry Rosens and Holt Renfrew in Canada. And they've been the most incredible supportive retailers. And I can't speak highly enough of the support they've given us to evolve our brand, evolve our product and um, have relevance to their customer. We've been given huge opportunities as a result of that. So that was our first step. Then um, we had just signed a contract with David Jones here in Australia, which is our biggest department store retailer. And um, me and Markle decided to come to Australia with uh, Prince Harry. And she stepped off an aeroplane in Dubbo and a little town here, country town. And she was wearing our jeans. And the media went berserk. I was in Cambodia at the time. And I woke up, my phone was just off the hook, like, media. I had to jump on a plane that night, fly straight back to Australia for, you know, TV appearances and media just went ballistic. And she really opened us up to the world. And as a direct result of her wearing our product, we hired 46 new seamstresses. And it really was the first time that I saw how powerful the media are wow. and how powerful celebrity endorsement is. And so completely changed my point of view on many of the, the probably strong opinions I'd had previously to this particular mm, strategy that brands would have using influencers and celebrities and, and how that works. But it was just, it meant that we had media across the world talking about our brand. And yeah, they really, to be honest, they just started talking about our brand. They used Meghan Markle as a headline and then talked about our brand. 
And so, I mean, I'd love to one day be able to somehow thank her because I know she knows <laughs> what she did. Um, you know, the media talked about it a long time after the, the results. Yeah. But, and uh, so then we, so then uh, we were exposed to all these other retailers. And then right before COVID hit and New York was locked down, we launched with Nordstrom in New York and the women's in New York store, the new store, which was like brands are saying to me, how the heck did you get your brand in there? And again, yeah. it comes down to these retailers really do want to be a part of creating change. Yeah. Um, so they support brands that are genuine about this. They do their due diligence. They look at us. They, they've given us advice on how to get our product to the level it needs to be before it could be sold there. And then they bought it. And they've been incredibly supportive. And then we launched our men's with Bloomingdale's in New York and LA as well. And so um, it was just like a dream run. But then three weeks into that, COVID happened and it was lockdown. So we're, we're, those stores are only <laughs> opening up, up now. And so for any of those listeners and you want to know how to support our brand, it's really go and support those retailers that stock us. You can see on our website who stocks us. But going in and buying our product is one of the greatest ways that we're going to create change. Donations are fantastic to charities. They are but they're not long lasting buying product that has a had, buying jeans that has a byproduct of change that's long lasting and that's genuinely sustainable well into the future and so you know we can't be more grateful than to have the retailers and the support they've given us than than we have it's just it's too good to imagine it's so different to what everybody told me it would be like that is amazing. And James, I don't know. I mean, I, there's, oh my goodness, that is just so amazing. But in so many ways, you 100% proved my point that I have been making for like two years um, on how a big influence of the ethical fashion industry has been how some of the world's biggest celebrities like Meghan Markle, Emma Watson, choosing to wear ethical brands in public how that is that creates this ripple effect yeah. and a lot of people denied me and i said no and the fact that you shared that i'm like yes like i am gonna yeah. save that little audio <laughs> clip and be like boom this is what i've been saying but now i got yeah. i guess i got the receipts that's what the, yeah, we say in the, the, in the u.s now, yeah. i got the receipts <laughs> <laughs> that well, is amazing is very true it is yes. very true. And, and you know, um, those, those celebrities cop a lot of heat for a lot of things. Um, but I know that they're intentional about those choices that they make. We had an, another one, Leonardo DiCaprio wore our, our jeans as well. Um, these things, keep in mind, aren't seeded. These, this is these guys looking for opportunities to create better uh, exposure for brands yeah. that are they're creating change. And so I take my hat off to those celebrities that are willing to go out of their own way. I mean, let's face it, they can be paid to wear any yeah. product they want, but they choose to go and buy products to wear that support the right things. I think that says a lot about the character of those those celebrities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, James, I love that so much. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple more things before we go. Yeah. Um, but before we get to the get to know you round, you know, obviously 2020 has been a year of uh, a certain je ne sais quoi, as the French say, is this is just and, you know, even between the time we are recording this and the time this airs, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, yes. We got. Yeah. 
I don't even know. We like we just got hit with a Saharan dust storm. I don't know. My my friend was like, Pharaoh, let our people go. Okay. We don't know. There's locusts, there's plagues. I don't know. Anyway, but we're gonna look at the positive things, okay? And uh obviously there's a lot of growth happening with Outland and you have a lot of vision. Like I know just from the little bit I know about you, um, is that you are a visionary and you dream big and you think big. What is sort of the next thing that you are praying for and working towards with Outland? We um our bottom line is bums on seats. How many people can this be given to in an effective and powerful way? And so we know that our brand is the stepping stone. It's, it's one of the aspects that's going to create incredible change. But what if we were to utilize the power of other brands? What if we went to those brands that want to be a part of this movement but are too big or don't know how to create that kind of impact through their brand and started making their clothing? And so that is the next step for us is to start manufacturing. We've got our first client, which is um, Karen Walker, who's an incredible New Zealand brand with a big um, international presence, famous yeah. for their wear and incredible, beautiful fashion that they that we collaborated with last year. And it was a real success. And they're really happy with the products that we were able to produce. And so they've become our first client. And now we're just, we've got other clients that we're meeting with as well that we're just very careful to take on we'll move slowly into it but as we choose those partners we know that the impact of what we can have can expand even beyond cambodia so we we really believe that's the future um proving that environmentally we've got some projects that are on the go that have been on the go for the last nearly two years of where we believe you know we're trying to address things like textile waste in landfill and um how do we how do we solve some of these big issues that we face you know my belief is and this goes probably, this is hard to swallow in the Christian community, I think, but how do we turn consumerism into a positive word? Mm. And because I, I actually believe consumerism is the answer. I don't believe slow fashion is the answer. In fact, I believe slow fashion is, is, is a really poor, bad, destructive movement, but that's done with the right intention. And maybe the best thing we've got right now as well, but it's not the solution. It is so not the solution. The solution yeah. is to buy more. But we need to be learn how to create products in a way that doesn't destroy the environment and benefits the people in, as, a, as a direct result of producing it. And if we can get to that point, then we solve big global issues that the government yeah. doesn't have the ability to solve. And so I'm an advocate of consumerism uh, done in the right way. We're just not at a place where it's probably the most viable off, uh, option right now. Yeah. No, I could not agree more. Absolutely. It's all about making conscious, uh, deliberate decisions to support brands and to, you know, we talk all the time about voting with your dollar and you're voting yeah. with your dollar every time you make a purchase. So, uh, yeah. James, this has been awesome. But before we go, um, I have to ask you my fun get to know you questions or it wouldn't <laughs> be an episode of the Business with Purpose podcast and my listeners yeah. would be very upset with me. So, uh, James. Well, I hope I'm interested enough for them, yeah. <laughs> I know. James, uh, are you ready for the get to know you round? I'm so ready. Okay. Question number one is, what was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? The Man from Snowy River. Oh, is this so? Okay, is this an Australian children's show or something? <laughs> I haven't heard of it. It's actually, it's actually one of the most successful movies. So it's a movie. Is that okay? Can oh, I answer with a movie? Okay, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
So there's Crocodile Dundee and The Man from Snow River, and they were incredible right. uh, movies produced in the 80s. And The Man from Snow River, it's about a, uh, a man that lived in the high country and he had a very strong bond with his horse. And um, that, was, that was, I wanted to be him. He was also named Jim, and uh, Jim is short for James. I was called Jim as well. So um, I thought that's, that's my, I've got to grow up to be like Jim Craig. I love it. Okay, that's great. I'm gonna add it to my to watch list. I can't believe I haven't yeah. heard of it. Um, oh, that's great. You haven't either. Yeah. That was great. Um, okay, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, it's it's a cold beer after work. It's um, you know, I know I know how many calories are in it, and I should probably not consider having an office job these days. But my gosh, <laughs> guilty pleasure. <laughs> and it's not a Foster's. By the way, it's it's not a Foster's. No one in Australia drinks Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what do? Okay, that's a great question. Is like, okay, if if all Americans think that um, all Australians drink Foster's, what do you guys think that Americans drink? Bud Light. I was going to say Bud Light or Budweiser. <laughs> um, well, yeah. funny enough, I was at the gas station the other day and like the well, one Budweiser is disgusting um it's like <laughs> ugh, ugh, gross um but I was in the gas station the other day and I was just going to the checkout and like right by the checkout there was a huge kind of pallet of cases of Budweiser and it was buy one get one free it was like they couldn't give away oh, the Budweiser but I mean, I realize that it's probably region specific in the U.S., but yeah. uh, it, where I live in North Carolina, it's very like it is you are people will turn your noses up at you, turn their noses up at you if they <laughs> see you drinking like really? Budweiser or something. Oh. oh, yeah, they it is like everybody here is about craft beer and there's a ton of like yeah. local breweries. So everybody's all about supporting yeah. local breweries. So if you drink Budweiser or oh, Bud Light, people are like, Oh, why could oh, you, how you, could you possibly <laughs> drink that? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, that's hilarious. I was gonna ask if you drank Foster's. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> um, okay. Um, of all of your pet peeves, which one is the strangest? Pet peeves. Oh, you know, you know, one thing I um, really struggle with is um, tight asses. To be honest, I really struggle with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm I'm all for I'm all for generosity. I like it. I like it. It's like loosen up, people. Be, yeah, be it's generous. At the top of my, yeah, it's at the top <laughs> of my tree. I think that that and a disrespectful tone and and, yeah. and I'm and I'm there. Yeah. All right, I like it. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, uh French toast. Um, mm. French toast with tomato sauce. With tom- okay, salt and it, tomato sauce. French toast with yeah. salt and tomato sauce. I have never Ketchup, heard of this. Yeah. I have. Oh, well, this is. You know what? You haven't. You have not lived until you've had it. See, okay. everybody thinks it's a dessert, but it's it's yeah. a sweet dish. But it's it's not. It's a savory dish. I am fast. I am. My mind is currently like the mind blown emoji. That is what my head is right yeah. now. Because when I think French toast, I think of like the thing that I make on Christmas morning for my family, which has like cinnamon and nutmeg and whipped cream yeah. and like is dessert. It is dessert. Yeah. I am f- I'm fascinated so by this. You need, to, you need to try it. Yep. Catch okay. it. Now, is this like an Australian recipe? Like, is this like a thing that your mom made growing up or? 
No. Oh, yes, my mum. Absolutely. Yep. She made that for me growing up. And to be honest, when I go to a restaurant and I see it on the menu and I, I just know I can't order it because it's going to come up with maple syrup or, you know, so it's just loses its, loses its um, beauty once you put that sweet stuff on it. I'm fascinated. Okay. Well, I'm, all right. I'm going to report back because I'm going to try this. And yeah. I'm, I hope you do. You need to. I will. Yeah. I will. I will. Um, okay. Good. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? It's the future. It's it's the legacy. It's future. It's, um, it's meaning. Yeah, it's purpose. It's the only way anything will change is when we start using our businesses, our lives, our industries to create the change we want for our children. And we are in a time that I believe will mark history as mm -hmm. a time when we had slipped so far down that slippery slope of measuring uh, success via only one measure, which was an economic one, to now where we need to measure all impacts of a business to be able to determine whether they were successful or not. That is, I love it. That's the perfect note to end on. James, this has <laughs> been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your vision and your wisdom. And I just can't wait to continue to see your brand grow and change so many lives. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business With Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business With Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partners of the show, Simple Switch. Don't forget to use the code Purchase With Purpose for 20% off your first order from Simple Switch. The Lemonade Boutique, use code Purpose15 for 15% off at checkout. Amaz Uma, go to shopwithmolly.com for more and GoX Apparel. Go to goxapparel.com forward slash Molly Stillman to snag that exclusive business with purpose tea. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, Welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for your support and for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to help make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the amazing team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>